Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show, and we are about as close to official football season as we could get, Eric. It feels good. You and I were in Los Angeles, and I, I guess I should specifically say Hollywood. We were Hollywood for oh, yeah. about two days. Um, we, we were down for Pac-12 Media Day, which was held on Tuesday, July 27th. Uh, you and I hung out at a swanky hotel um, on a Tuesday morning and turned into the afternoon. We got some time with Mario Cristobal. We got some time with Kayvon Thibodeau. We spoke with Alex Forsyth. Uh, we spoke with media members, national and regional. We spoke with um, the the new Pac-12 commissioner, George Klavkoff. Um, we heard from Oregon Athletic Director Rob Mullins. Um, we heard from Merton Hanks, the uh, commissioner and deputy of college football in the Pac-12. Um, there was a lot of people that were important parts of the 2021 college football season, specifically in the Pac-12 um, and Oregon football. And I feel like I walk away now from this press conference with like an overload of really important information. And we're going to break all of that kind of down for you here on this podcast. Um, and it's going to be in some chunks because Eric, there was a ton of stuff that from like a big picture conference wide and then focusing on the Oregon stuff as well. Like there's just so much that we got to get, get to on this podcast. Yeah, we're going to probably leave some things out that are really important yes. as well, I'm sure. And I'm sure over the next couple of days, we'll you know have more time to look through everything uh, through our notes. We should note we're recording this at 1030. We both got in really, really late. Like, past midnight. Yeah, past midnight from flights yesterday. So we're we're both a little worn down our brains. I'm not saying I'm not I'm, I'm building us excuses, I guess, Matt, right now saying we're okay. tired. But uh, you're like, I'll take you're <laughs> like, I'll it. take it. You'll, yeah, we'll take it. But I, I just to say that, like, there's this is not totally all encompassing everything we learned down there. There's definitely going to be a lot of stories that we're right over the next couple of days that are add ons to this. But what we're doing today is, is I think, t- kind of the five to six to eight to 10 things. I don't even know what number it's going to be, but to be totally honest with you, because we might have things pop in our heads as we're doing this. That really stood out from Tuesday. And it was a big event. And that like, I don't know about you, I like pretty much everything we heard. Uh, I felt better about where the Pac-12 is kind of headed to a certain yeah. degree. We can get into some of that stuff with what Clive Clive said. I felt better about a lot of the points of, I guess, contention for Oregon um, based on what Mario Cristobal said. And similar kind of thing from what Kayvon Thibodeau and Alex Forsyth had to say. I, I just think overall the event was, I think, a really positive one. And, and again, this is not totally unusual for a Pac-12 Media Day. Usually it's a celebration of the conference. Yeah, But it, it, I think it certainly lived up to that. And, and we come away from it going like there's a lot of, I think, positive things that are at least on the surface um, on the horizon, both for the program and, and for the league as a whole. I was happy that George Klavkoff, this was his first press conference as a working employee of the Pac-12. He did a press conference back in May when he was hired. Um, but it was not a, Hey, like I'm doing this. This is what we're doing. Um, it was more of like, this is who I am. This is kind of my vision. And I start in July and he spoke with the media. He had a very long, uh, opening statement and he, he touched on quite a bit of, uh, of information. And I think the first thing that I, that I stood out, that stood out to me compared to Larry Scott was when you, when you get past the, you know, thank you for our partners, our athletic directors, our coaches. Um, when you get past the, the mentioning of the fans and you know, getting past the, the COVID updates of like, Hey, you know, we're still, he, he mentioned how the conference is nine out of 12 schools are, are requiring vaccinations for all students. He mentioned uh, safety protocols that they're going to be going through again through COVID-19. I mentioned how 80%, uh, two thirds of the conference has, has achieved 80% or more vaccinations. And then he said half of those teams are above 90%. You know, once he gets past kind of like the procedural stuff that any normal 
press conference opens up with. Right. Um, he the first thing he addressed about the job was, and this is different from Larry Scott, wasn't the fact that he brought up the Conference of Champions and the promotion of Stanford winning the water polo national championship and Oregon winning the track and field championship and, and I'm making these championships up and UCLA winning the extra, you know, the, the ping pong championship and NCAA wow. athletics and, you know, and, and really pushing the conference of champions mantra that we hear so ever so often. Um, he went right in and said, let's talk about something more, much more fun, athletic success. As I mentioned in my May press conference going forward, the Pac-12 will be hyper-focused on greater success in football and men's basketball. It's not a secret that these are the two most impactful sports and that revenue generated from football and men's basketball often funds our overall athletic uh, programs. He didn't bash the lower-level sports like a baseball he didn't bash women's sports. He's not coming out here and saying that they're not going to focus on that because they are. They're, they're going to put a lot of attention towards that. But he was also kind of a realist in that we can't be truly elite and we can't truly be the conference of champions unless we as a conference become elite at football and men's basketball. Because when those two sports are, are hyper successful, the money comes in. And the trickle-down effect of the money hits all those other sports, which elevates those sports even more, which allows those sports to spend more money on you know, building their base, bringing more awareness to those sports. And that is what has made the SEC and the Big Ten so good at everything is because they are very good at football and they are very good at men's basketball. And the trickle-down effect of that plays out all the way down to the, all the other sports. And I, I got the feeling from, from listening to Clive Koff, like he gets it. Like he wants women's basketball to be the best. You know, he wants the conference to be the best representation in women's basketball on a year to year basis. He wants track to, to continue to be a, a powerhouse in the conference. Um, he wants baseball. He wants softball, you know, to continue to rise but to do that, you it, the job becomes much easier if you're really good at football and men's basketball. And I love the fact how he immediately just dove right in about how the league is good right now and how the league is going to get better because of X, Y, and Z things that they're going to be implementing over the next couple of years. He's a straight shooter. Yeah. Which Larry Scott never was. Yeah. You know, and I, and like, he, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of liberty and putting the sentence together, but he said something to the effect of like the Pac-12 has won more conference, or sorry, more national championships than any other conference, 56 of the last 60 athletic years, but that's not really good enough because everything is measured by football and men's basketball. Yep. And that was basically the tenor. And he gave that stat, which is, by the way, mind-boggling, that 56 of the last 60 years, the Pac-12 has won, I believe it's as many or more than the other conferences um, from a national championships perspective, they, as Matt said, they dominate water polo, they dominate track, golf, etc. It's football and men's basketball, though, that measures everything. And it's been multiple decades since they've won a championship in either one of those. And it feels like, especially with football, I think men's basketball, we just saw UCLA compete and UCLA is considered one of the favorites next year. Oregon's been a final four elite eight sweet 16 team pretty consistently. I think basketball is probably healthier, but football, you're seeing it regress. And I, I thought I was really impressed with that point. And here, we'll jump on to another thing he said that I think was really encouraging regarding football um, is that they're forming a football competitiveness group with the intent solely being to try to make the opportunity of getting into the college football playoff and winning national championships the priority. I'm not saying Larry Scott didn't do that, but he never came out straight up and said that. And they didn't honestly, have one. They didn't have, a, well, they didn't have a working group. Well, he didn't have a working group, but the fact that, like, here's a quote from Clive Cobb that Scott never said in what was almost a decade of, of time as a lead commissioner of the Pac-12. Clive Cobb yesterday said, I want to be 100% clear that going forward, the Pac-12 conference will make all of our football-related decisions um, with the intention of optimizing college football invitations and winning national championships. It seems really freaking obvious, Matt, but Larry Scott never said that. 
Yeah. That was never the intent. The intent was never, I mean, he never came out straight and was like, yeah, we're doing everything we decided to do is trying to win championships. There was a lot of things I'm sure that were done to try to maximize those things behind the scenes, but that was never like the, the mission statement, which is clearly what they're trying to do now. And I will be curious what this group will achieve. It's a group he said comprised of the head football coaches and athletic directors from all 12 schools. Yep. And then other, I don't know who these other people are, um, but there are other people that are also going to be on this and their intent again is just to try to find ways to make the conference more competitive. So I thought that was really significant and stood out um, just because again, it seems really simple and really obvious on face value. Like, of course the commissioner is going to say that, but that's not what Larry Scott ever said. And it was kind of refreshing just to have someone be like, yo, I know the conference has done a lot of great things in other sports, but unless we're winning national championships in football and basketball, yeah. it really doesn't matter. And then more specifically, like everything we do with football has to be tailored towards getting to championships. Um, they've hired a, another person to help with Merton Hanks, who's the senior associate commissioner for football operations. Um, they announced the hiring of Shauna Brown to work as an associate commissioner of football operations for Merton. Uh, and Shauna comes from Conference USA and has also spent portions of her career at the NCAA, the American East Conference, the America Conference, and the Miami Dolphins. And, you know, it's just their high. It, it, it's, it's a lot like at Oregon from a recruiting standpoint. Like Mario Cristobal shows up and he hires his staff and then he gets, you know, hey, we're going to hire one or two people to help in the recruiting department. And then the next year, hey, we had two people, you know, that were on off-field coaches working in the recruiting department. I've been able to, you know, to, to maneuver maneuver some money around in the budget where we can now maybe grow that from two to four. And then the next year, it's going to the athletic department saying, "Hey, like recruiting is getting better. We we are seeing the results. And things are getting better. We we want to add now two more got two people to our recruiting staff to grow it to six. And then just over time, the more hands you have on, the more eyes you have on Oregon's recruiting." We've seen that class get better and better and the program gets better and better. That's kind of what the PAC 12 is doing right now is they are specifically hiring people strictly to focus on improving the football product. And we might not see uh, immediate results. Um, I, I don't know much about Shauna Brown, but the more people you have involved, the more ideas that you have involved, the more eyes you have on the product you're trying to produce, the better that product more often than not gets. Um, so I was really excited about that and, and, and to see that um, and, and be announced. Um, and Crystal, and, and, and speaking with Klaukoff, you know, they've moved the Pac-12 championship game to Las Vegas. Um, they've now implemented a working group. They are discussing. I thought this was really interesting too. Was he 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 mentioned that they're not a hundred percent locked in one way or the other, but they are going to review everything with how the conference is made up, mm -hmm. and that meant do we do away with divisions? And we literally take the two best teams in the conference for the conference championship game. And, and you know, cause some years it could be Oregon and Washington. Some years it could be Oregon and USC. Some years it could, it could be USC and Utah. And do you want to make it where you get your two best teams, regardless of division, or do you do a division series where maybe, you know, uh, an eight and four Oregon team, like we saw this past year, right? upset your undefeated team in USC and USC doesn't go to a, a, a big bowl game and you, you knock yourself out of the college playoff picture. And so they're looking at maybe doing away with divisions and they're also going to consider, should we be, should we be playing nine conference games? Because another quote that, that Klykoff has said that unlike, uh, unlike conferences with a single dominant team, we often have multiple top teams and significant depth in the conference and a nine-game conference schedule. While this has led to greater parity, it has historically hurt us in the ratings, and it has certainly cost us CFP invitations. They are 100% going to reevaluate this. And aside from, you know, like for me, my biggest gripe with the league has been not the officiating, 
not the scheduling of these big conference games, um, not the TV deals. It's they are purposely giving half the league an extra loss compared to the SEC and compared to the ACC. Automatically, you automatically give half your league one more loss than what those other two conferences have because those two conferences play eight conference games instead of nine. And you've tried to get those schools and those conferences that play eight conference games on board with nine. They've not done it. They've not budged. And right now the league has no leverage to stress that. And so you've got to kind of adapt or die. And I, I think this is the first step in, I hope, the conference doing away with a conference game and adding a non-con game and getting to an equal footing playing field with, with the SEC. I want to use a little critical thinking here, Matt. Um, they're going to go to eight games. Like I think it's pretty much a guarantee. If you just, just put the two, the two quotes we've read of his together, I think we've read more than two, but the two most recent ones were where he says every decision is going to be made about trying to make the college football playoff. And then he says, by playing a ninth game, we might've cost ourselves college football playoff opportunities. Like those two sentences, you put those right next to each other and you go, well, then that's pretty darn obvious what they're going to do. They're going to go to eight. And it's not going to be something that they announced. Obviously, right now, he just got the job and that's too quick to to do make all of these sweeping changes right immediately. I'm not surprised by 2022 or maybe 2023 if we see this as eight, though. I think I could see like next year or as soon as next year, maybe they announce, yeah, we're going to go to eight conference games. I'm not going to be surprised by that at all, just based upon the tenor of what he said on Tuesday, and again, those two comments he made, I think he put those side by side, the idea that, hey, like we're going to try to make every decision with the intent of making college football playoffs. And then also, hey, we've been playing an extra conference game that's hurt us getting to the playoff. It's pretty easy to decide to kind of determine what that means. Um, But we should note here, Matt, and this is probably the last thing we talk about Klavkov before we get to Cristobal and some of the player comments. Um, There might not be a conference that is the Pac-12 in a couple of years or several years here, but probably not before 2025 when it looks like the SEC is adding Oklahoma and Texas. But Matt, there were a couple of questions. Um, just, I mean, honestly, probably the topic of the day was conference realignment for, for Clive Cobb and some of the coaches. Um, he would not commit to the idea that they would expand, but as Matt wrote in a story that was up on the site on Tuesday, um, it's not like they've closed the door or the idea of that totally either. Yeah. Like realignment's going to be interesting to play out. Um, what were your thoughts? Like, were you kind of disappointed that he was like non-committal about growth? Like, I understand that, like, you don't want to negotiate through the media. No, like, and he said and, that. That was like a quote from him, by the way. Yeah, and he said that multiple times, or instigated, or insinuated that multiple times that they weren't going to negotiate through the media because there was there's already a report out there that Texas Tech. Um, has reached out about joining the conference and has interest. And and the rumors are that Kansas, Texas Tech, Baylor, and I believe TCU, um, or maybe Oklahoma State, sorry. And I've seen Iowa State's thrown in there too. A lot of right. everyone everyone in those remaining in the Big 12 basically has been included. Have have been linked to like having interest in joining the conference now that Texas and Oklahoma have left. The Big 12. And let's also be real. Like, the Big 12 is going to be gone in four years. Like, bye. I, I don't, there's no one else out there. There was a, a graphic, I think Stuart Mandel tweeted out um, of how, like, Oklahoma and Texas, on average, uh, over the last couple of seasons, average like 3.5 million um, viewers per game that they play in. Like, that's not Texas versus Oklahoma. That's just, Oklahoma playing in a game and they, they average three and a half million viewers. Um, and then the rest of the conference, the other uh, eight teams in the big 12 combined average like 890,000, like not even like a quarter of what they bring to the table uh, of a Texas or an Oklahoma. So like this whole idea that, the conference could just go and add these leagues or these teams. They're not going to bring a ton of eyeballs because quite honestly, like they're the, the rest of the big 12 is more in line to um, what a Utah or a Washington state um, or 
a Cal or an Arizona state is like in our conference in the PAC 12, like they're not heavy movers. So, but were you, were you disappointed that he wasn't like, Hey, college landscape is changing. We are going to be proactive. We're going to, we're going to figure out what's best for us. Um, Or were you okay with him coming out and saying like, we're fine being at 12. Like, I know I actually I actually really liked what he had to say, Matt. I'll be honest. And I know some folks here probably wanted him to come out and be like, yeah, I know we're gonna go out and be as aggressive as possible. I think he basically said that without saying that. And I think it comes, I, I mean, like honestly, I would have probably been a little disappointed if he was like super I mean, this is his first press conference. He just started the job. And I I know he's trying to like outline kind of who he is, but like I, I came away thinking, okay, he's a straight shooter. On, on things that are obvious, but things like this that have a lot of nuance and that are unpredictable, he's going to be pretty cautious in terms of what he says. And I didn't have a problem with that because I think there's so many moving parts right now. And this is part of what is, is difficult and not to go down too, too much of a rabbit hole, but like on the site recently, there's been a lot of people clamoring for like, why don't we have more information posted on conference realignment? And the reality is, is a lot of what's out there, I don't think is that reputable and I don't really trust it. And it's honestly just a lot of murmurings going on probably he also came out and basically said that. Yeah. And so like that. And so like I am in, in alignment with that idea of like, there's a lot of chatter right now, but before he I, literally, as he's making and he's asked these questions, none of this stuff with Texas and Oklahoma has even been finalized. Right. I mean, it's going to happen, I think, based upon all the sourcing and the reporting that's out there. But like, you know, you're talking about something that's, you know, not totally cemented yet and as fact, and then trying to build out what everything around it looks like when there's, four years before any of this stuff actually comes into place. And so like, I would prefer not to have a commissioner who's just like knee jerk. Boom. This is what we're doing. I think it actually, I would prefer somebody who's a little bit more patient and a little bit more relaxed on this whole thing and takes a slower approach because I'm not saying you benefit from, from slow, you know, from, from, from slow playing your hand or anything, but I also think you might hurt yourself if you come out a little bit desperate of like, oh, we need to just put everything together. Let's get let's get the Big 12 teams on the phone. Let's get the Big 10 teams on the phone. And I'm sure those conversations are happening. But I actually just prefer that he didn't come out and, and, and you know, put out his entire hand. And like you said, negotiate through the media. I don't think that's good practice, really. And, and in part, Matt, probably in part because I would think Larry Scott would have been somebody. <laughs> I mean, not to just turn this on to trashing Larry Scott, the previous guy, but like, I, I could see him being somebody who was, you know, a little bit more effusive and in, in talking about how involved they wanted to be with expansion. So that's my perspective. I'm sure folks were probably rubbed the wrong way because they want everybody to, to be really committal on things that they just literally can't be committal on until there's actual things in writing or, or, or determinations made, which I, I don't believe that. There, I, I, I'm sure that there are conversations happening. You know that there are, but I don't, I think some of this has been overblown a little bit in terms of like how fast all this is happening and, and how rapid this is going. And, and the thing to me about what Klavkov said was he, he addressed like what you just said of how you don't think a lot of that stuff is real by saying that based off the meetings and, and the discussions with the people that he's having within the conference, the majority of the stuff that's out there isn't true. And that he said, it's great for the fans. It's great for the media for coverage and from a work perspective because it's a hot topic and people love discussing the rumor, but he said a majority of it isn't true. And I, I believe him to an extent, but I also go back to the scenario that we saw play out just this week with Texas and Oklahoma. Like the big 12 was completely blindsided by this. And, and apparently Texas and Oklahoma have been working towards this for like a year. So like, I, I do believe um, a majority of the rumors that we've seen out there from expansion are false, but I also think that there is some stuff that's going to be out there that, that is going to be ended up being either fully true or partially true. Yeah, no, I, 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 and the conference realignment thing is going to continue to be a central story for probably shoot the next two to three years is my guess. And I do think eventually, you know, and Clive Coffee was saying, Hey, we're comfortable with 12, but we're open to adding. I think, I think I'm not going to be surprised at all. If, if the conference is added onto, I don't think they're going to 
become the Big 12 or see schools go to the Big 12? Because as you said, I don't think there's, I think actually the Pac-12 right right now, I don't think, I know the Pac-12 right now is in a healthier spot than the Big 12 is currently. I think that conference is blowing up. Um, so I do think there's going to be movement, but I, I don't think anything is like imminent. Like, I don't know if we're going to get to the end of the football season and have any more clarity other than probably more rumor mill stuff. And some of it will be steeped in some fact and others will be just kind of out there to be out there. And, and again, like, not to not to harp on this too much. We're in a culture now where where it's everybody has a rumor, and a lot of the times it's yeah. hard to know who's reputable because you see it every year with big sports stuff, and you see it with other things, I'm sure too. And this is a small tangent because I think we need to get back to talking about some of the football stuff. But like yeah. you see it every year with like even like something like fantasy or for sorry basketball NBA free agency where somebody quote unquote has a source with Kawhi Leonard a couple of years ago, and the guy clearly has absolutely no understanding of what's going on post a bunch of stuff people buy into it because he seems credible and then he's completely wrong on everything and i don't think it's a good habit for us or anyone else really to be posting things um, that are rumor uh unless there's actual sourcing behind it and trusting and so i'm not going to go out there and like aggregate a bunch of stuff that that isn't and this is somewhat in response to some of the stuff i saw on the site that was frankly a little bit disheartening but um there's just a, a slight response to that let's talk more about some of the stuff that happened on media day 100 now from an Oregon perspective, we didn't even discuss before we even spoke with anybody the news that happened. We didn't even tease that. The the, the media selected Oregon. <laughs> we haven't mentioned this yet. We yeah. Should. I mean, we're like 25 minutes into the podcast here. We're going to have a lot of stuff that we were planning on talking about that either we make this into an hour and a half podcast or we just trim it and do another. Yeah, show. we're going we're gonna to have to we're going to have to split this up into a couple different shows. Um, the media predicted Oregon to win the Pac-12 North and kind of in going away fashion. Out of the 40 votes that were cast, uh, Oregon was selected first in the North out of 38 of those. Washington got two. So and the Huskies were the only other school in the North Division to receive first place votes. Cal was third, Stanford fourth, Oregon State fifth, Washington State sixth. Um the jump between one and two is pretty large. The jump between two and three is, is pretty, is a, is a big gap, 49 points. Um, yep. And then Stanford and, and Cal at three and four, they're pretty similar. And then the jump from four to five is, is pretty big too. Um, 60 or so points. USC was predicted first in the conference uh, in the South division with 27 first place votes. Uh, Utah got six and they finished second. Arizona State was third in the division. They also had six first place votes. And then UCLA was picked first, uh, fourth, and they had one first place vote. And then among the teams to be picked to win the whole thing, uh, Oregon once again going away favorite. Oregon with 27 of the 40 votes. USC got 10. Utah got three. I'm not really surprised by any of that. No. Like, it, none, none of that. <laughs> like, I, Right what I was expecting. I mean, we can look at, you know, we don't have to look that far back to look at my predictions for what the Pac-12 would look like. Right. And I have, it's verbatim, except for I had Stanford above Cal in the North. And um, and I understand Cal over Stanford from a scheduling perspective. Stanford has a really, arguably the toughest schedule in the entire country um, this upcoming season. And in the Pac-12, it's no easier to. They basically face all the good teams and most of those games are, are away from home. They do host Oregon. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I mean, a lot of this is is pretty straightforward. I think Oregon has the best overall team in the conference. I think that's reflected on the vote by the vote. And I think the South is really top heavy. And I think there are three or four teams that could actually win the South. But I think USC, based upon what they did last year, what they returned, the talent they have on the rosters, I think a pretty easy team to kind of land on. Matt, you actually had a vote on this. Did, did, did yeah. anything, did, did, did your ballot look any different, really? Um, not really. I had Washington to um, I, I, I actually had the North division, the Identical. exact, the exact same. Um, I had USC one. I had Utah two. had UC, ASU three, UCLA four. Um, so you were identical all the way down. I yeah, think. I was identical all the way down. There's no way you picked Arizona over anyone. I actually no, have Arizona no. going like over this year, by the way, in Pac-12. So I think they're not good. But anyway. <laughs> and then and from think- a player perspective, I also yeah. got to vote on this. Um, are you shocked that Kayvon Thibodeau is the only player in the entire conference, not just Oregon, 
but the entire conference to be a, uh, the lone unanimous first team honoree offense or defense. He's the only guy that everyone basically said first team all pack 12. Not really. I mean, I think I look at the conference and I go like, I think it's like, and this is, I think part of the problem with predicting the league and, and for why the team, the league probably isn't going to factor in the college football playoff is there's just not a lot of like, or at least preseason, we don't think that way. There aren't just a lot of like established stars. Yeah. You know, like usually you come into the, into the season and it's like, okay, here's the you know front runner for Pac-12 offensive player of the year. And it's pretty clear. Like Jarek Broussard won last year, but I don't even know if he's going to be a first team all conference running back this year. Last year was so wonky. Um, is Keaton Slovis the best quarterback in the conference? I think so, but I don't know if it's that big of a discrepancy from him to somebody else. And he certainly hasn't like been so incredible that he's an all American. So, I mean, I think this is actually kind of predictable the more I think about it, because you, I remember looking at the preseason all American teams and being surprised that it was really Kayvon on the first teams and a bunch of other guys, not a bunch, a couple, two to three other guys from other schools that were on the second or third all American teams I saw. So I think that kind of aligns with it. Um, the rest of, by the way, um, the all-conference preseason teams, which Matt can run through in a second here. Um, I also think pretty predictable in terms of who was on the first team, second team, and who received honorable mention, just because I think there are a couple of guys that were on last year's first or second team all-conference that are now on or, on the preseason first team. And there were a couple of guys that were honorable mention last year who are now second team. Like, there, there's kind of this progression of, hey, based upon last year, this is how the voting works, it makes sense. Based on how the voting went, went last year, if that player is back, he's going to retain his spot. Yeah, and if he was a second team guy, he has a shot to move up if someone left and so forth and so, you know, and so on. So I actually really, honestly, like between the all conference preseason team and the poll, I probably am not surprised with almost anything I saw. Are you, I mean, like was something that really was glaring for you? No, not really. Um, I mean, I personally would have had Sewell as a first team linebacker, but Nate Landman, Drake Jackson, and Devin Lloyd are all really good players. Um, I mean, uh, Lloyd, Lloyd is the league's considered the league's uh, the best defensive player, yes. and he's like on all American teams everywhere. So that, that's a pretty easy one. And Landman, yeah. I think, has like 300 career tackles. Yes. <laughs> I think Drake Jackson's a better defensive end than a linebacker. Um, but Fair. I don't really have like a, a major complaint over that. Um, other ducks to make first team uh, Alex Forsyth at center. And then Mikhail Wright at defensive back, second team players from Morgan, CJ Verdell at running back, Johnny Johnson, the third at wide receiver. Uh, and then defensively, Noah Sewell was a second team linebacker. And then Verone McKinley, the third was a second team um, defensive back. The things that did surprise me, one, Mikhail Wright did not make any kind of specialist award. Um, that doesn't, you know, that kind of surprises me a little bit. Um, and then at wide receiver, Micah Pittman made honorable mention. I'm kind of surprised by that. Not that I don't think Micah Pittman's good. He just hasn't had a full season yet. Like his freshman year, he was hurt twice. His sophomore year, uh, 2020 year, uh, he was out for COVID protocols for half the year, essentially. And so a, a lot of people are looking at that as like, I think a talent projection than an, a, a production on the field. Um, right. And I don't even know, Eric, like I, I think this speaks volumes to how good Oregon's receiving core is. I would have, if I had to pick a receiver to make honorable mention, Pittman might've been like the third guy I picked like Jalen red in my mind would have been higher up the pecking order. Um, Devin Williams probably would have been, higher up the pecking order and call me crazy, but I, Delgado, maybe, I mean, uh, not Delgado, Chris Hudson, like hmm. I, 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 Pittman, I think that speaks to how good I think Oregon's receivers are going to be in 2021 where I, like if it doesn't surprise me that Oregon had an honorable mention guy, it's just that it wasn't Jalen red or Devin Williams. It was Micah Pittman. Yeah, I would definitely take Pittman over Hudson personally. Um, but I'm with you in, in the general conceit, Matt, of like, yeah, uh, Pittman's career from – I just spent a second saying that, you know, the way this usually works is it is production from the previous season. It's based upon where you were placed last year. Nothing Pittman has done to date indicates he's an all-conference player, just based on purely on-the-field stuff. 
what we hear off the field is amazing. I mean, we spoke, I had an opportunity to speak with, the, you know, Kayvon and Alex a little bit and, you know, and Alex in particular was just talking about how great of a guy Micah was in the locker room. And, and it seems like he's very well liked and he's been a really great interview and we've spoken with him and there's a ton of chatter about him every year, but to this point, it's all been the, uh, the upside as opposed to the on field stuff. So right. yeah, I think you're right. I, I probably would have had Devin Williams definitely over him and Jalen red based upon production over him. Um, this is probably of the Oregon players on honorable mention, the one that has the, the least, I guess, uh, you know, experience and also kind of success to date. What about like Jamal Hill? Were, were you surprised with, I mean, he wasn't on there. Was that, so I kind of thought he might be someone that would get a look. Yeah. I was kind of surprised, uh, especially with how he played in the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah. It seemed like he had his moment. Yeah. Like I, I was kind of thinking, like if, if you were to pick anybody on this list that should should have been included in something, whether it's first, second, or honorable mention, Jamal Hill probably has the biggest gripe. Mm-hmm. I, I think from an or, from Oregon's perspective that he should be on that list. Um, defensive backs, there's a lot of them. Um, there's a lot of guys in the league that are really good. Um, I, I But Jamal Hill... I think you sack him up against all the other safeties that are included in this uh, honorable mention list for, for DBs. And he's just as good as all of those guys. And maybe it's just a, an insanely deep league and, you know, at the defensive back position this season. Yeah. Could be. Um, I guess on air, let's discuss, do we, do we want to run into the rest of our stuff or do we want to wrap this one up and we'll have like a second extravagant, sorry, extravaganza podcast, maybe up on Thursday or Friday. I think we need to talk about Anthony Brown and the quarterbacks. Okay. I think, let's do that. I think that needs to be discussed. Okay. Well, Matt, I will start the discussion. <laughs> I, I, well, in part because I asked the questions specifically uh, to Mario, uh, actually to lead the, the press event yesterday um, about the quarterback situation, which is I think where anyone who's, covering this program would start and just things are kind of haven't changed a lot status quo uh, to a certain degree uh, with the with at least the kind of pecking order or what Cristobal would say with that Anthony Brown gonna get the first team reps to start fall camp Cristobal said he's earned that he's done a very good job from a performance perspective a leadership standpoint and taking on coach Moorhead's scheme um, Brown is a veteran guy I think this isn't like you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not surprised of the stories I wrote yesterday that this one was one of the ones that maybe had fewer eyeballs on it, just because I think it's pretty it's pretty obvious that this is kind of where things are at right now, where Brown is going to open fall camp as the yeah. starter. Um, he also did say and was very clear that they want to keep the competition going for that spot, with which obviously includes Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield, Robbie Ashford, the, the three freshman quarterbacks. That's something that's going to be ongoing. I don't know, based upon what I was what I heard there, reading tea leaves, talking to other people, if I really think one of these freshmen is going to start the season over Brown. I probably honestly just think that's pretty far-fetched. But I will also say, and this ties in a little bit to some of the Ty Thompson stuff that I want to get to in a second, it really does sound like these young guys are, are really, really good and that they are going to challenge Brown and that if there's a situation with which, you know, for whatever reason, whether it be performance of Brown-related or injury-related or whatnot, that if one of these young guys is put into a position to be the quarterback, that there's, it seems like there's optimism that they can be pretty successful. And I think Thompson in particular, as the borderline five-star top rated quarterback signee in program history, Cristobal was asked specifically about him, by the way. And Cristobal really couldn't have been more effusive and praiseworthy of, of kind of what he's seen from Ty Thompson today. And I want to read, you know, here's the final quote. He says, we couldn't have asked for a better signee at quarterback. Ty has a monster future at Oregon and he's in the mix as we head into fall camp. Um, and he was then asked how far in the mix. And he said, he's deep in there. You know, he's, 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 in, he's really in the mix. So, I mean, take that with, with, you know, take all of that as you want, because some of this is going to be the coach speak of, Hey, you just sign this kid. You're not going to like say he's not been good. <laughs> like it would be very surprising by the way, Matt. And I think you agree. If Mario Cristobal was like Ty Thompson, Kind of been a disappointment, honestly. He came in, you know, yeah. he's got all the talent, but he just doesn't really do it for me. We'll, 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 we'll see what happens. He's a long-term project. Like, that's not ever going to be Mario Cristobal, especially with a recruit like this. I'm not saying he's going to, like, lie, but he's, he's, he's not going to, like, be that, I guess, that candid about somebody who's disappointing. 
Uh, this just tells me that Thompson has, has lived up to some of the expectations and, and that, that the ceiling is very, very high for him, um, as I still think it is for the other quarterbacks who, again, Mario Crispo wasn't asked specifically to talk about Robbie Ashford or Jay Butterfield. So these quotes about Thompson that are out there are really, really encouraging. But I think it's important for a context perspective is just to say like, hey, um, the other guys weren't asked specifically right. about and guessing and, Mario was asked about them. He'd say something sort of similar. And the context even more to dig deeper, the guy that asked the question about Ty Thompson was a reporter from Phoenix who was doing a feature on all of the prospects that have signed with Oregon out of the state of Arizona, like recently, like yeah. he, he ran through the list. It was Bram. It was Jalen. It was Buckner. It was Ty Thompson. Um, I think he forgot to ask about uh, Jonah, Miller. Jonah Miller, but Jonah's from Tucson. So maybe it was a strictly like a Phoenix area focus, but like just to give you even more context to like the high praise, like we've seen some headlines out there. We've, we've wrote about Ty Thompson on our site, but to give you that context, it was a, a very specific question about Ty Thompson and not the entire quarterback room. And I took those comments as like, kind of what you were saying of they're high on Ty Thompson, but it definitely felt like a, Hey young man, we know you're not number one, but we're still high on you. We still have high expectations. Don't mentally check out of competing because we need you to compete to elevate the standard at the position. And then there is that possibility where you see a huge growth in your game mentally and physically and maybe you do win the job. Maybe you do come in week three or week four of the season and you are the best quarterback on the roster and you become the starting quarterback at that point. But it, to get there, you're going to have to lock in and understand that even though going into camp, you're not number one, you still got to treat it like you are and still treat it like you're in contention for that job. So to me, it felt a lot like, hey, we love you. We love the potential you're going to have. We think you're going to be a special guy at this program in the next four or five years, but stay locked in. Don't, don't get discouraged that Anthony Brown could take the first team rep in spring ball or in, in fall camp. Like that's how I viewed it as it, it's, it's not recruiting the player to stay and not transfer, but it's also trying to remind the guy that, you're still good. You're still special. You still have a lot in front of you. Don't get down on day one of fall camp. You not being the number one quarterback. A hundred percent. And I think that's why it's been very clear from, I mean, this specifically with this setup where you do have the veteran and the three young guys where it's pretty, I think most people can look at this and based upon the evidence in front of us can say, Anthony Brown is in a very good position to be the opening day starter. Got every spring rep. But Cristobal has been very intentional with saying the competition is ongoing. The competition is ongoing. We want these guys to compete because it's, I think, very easy, especially for 18, 19, 20-year-olds like these three these three freshman quarterbacks, to kind of like go, hey, I'm not going to be the starter. That sucks. Okay, well, I'm going to kind of ease up a little bit. And, and, and again, that's not what you want from a competitor. I don't think Mario Cristobal wants that from competitors. He probably recruits guys he doesn't think that are going to be susceptible to that. But it's natural and human nature for people to go there. And by continuing to keep this ongoing and to keep the, the idea, at least, that there is a competition at quarterback, he keeps everybody engaged. All three of these guys stay engaged. And again, from a, you mentioned a second ago, from like a recruiting guy is not a transfer. I don't think he's specifically doing that. But there, in theory, probably is going to be some turnover from those three guys in the next couple of years once this all yeah. shakes out. And you want to make sure everybody's cut, given a fair shake because ultimately – you don't want a situation where I'm not even going to pick one of the three names, but like one of the guys says, hey, I'm going to take off after this, you know, I'm going to take off before the season even starts. Cause I'm not going to be the second quarterback. I'm not even the starter. I'm not the second I'm third or fourth. Yeah. I'm going to take off. You do that. And then heck what happens in a year where now you only have two scholarship quarterbacks that have been right. around the program and you're in a tougher spot. You want all these guys to make it through the season. And I think you help ensure that by, by communicating, Hey, this is open. We're going to keep this ongoing. Yep. All of you guys have a shot. I mean, we don't think any of these guys are going to transfer during fall camp. No, I don't think any of them are going to transfer during the season. Um, but and if, if, if they if, and if they do, it's because someone's very clearly made it known that they're the guy going long term. I think right, right. And if a guy does leave, it's probably going to be after this year, or it's probably going to be more likely after spring ball 
Mm-hmm. And it's either going to be in December when the season is regular season is over and that player can can transfer, change schools, and then enroll at the next one in time to be enrolled for winter term and get a jump on their off-season training and be there for spring ball. Or the players will compete during spring ball to get an idea where they're at. And when they know where things are going, they'll then make a decision if they stay or go. And you and I are in agreement. Like Ashford, Butterfield, Thompson, one of those three will not be on the roster probably for at minimum the 2023 season. It could be the 2022. But I think I would be floored if all three of them were still on the roster in 2023. Um, Same. Yeah. But nonetheless, that kind of went down the rabbit hole a little bit further um, than, than we wanted to. But at quarterback, I got a feeling speaking with Thibodeau, you spoke with Forsyth one-on-one. Anthony Brown's kind of got the full endorsement of the team right now. Maybe not, maybe not full endorsement, but like you definitely feel a unified front of everyone's on board with him being the guy. Oh, no doubt. You know, the way, like the way they talked and the way they communicated how the team views him. Right. And I think that's what you would hope the team would. That's how you'd hope that Thibodeau and Forsyth, who again, were selected to be representatives for a reason. That's how you would hope that they would speak. Right. Like right. it would be problematic if we came out of this weekend with Thibodeau saying, I don't think Anthony Brown's the starter. The younger guys are a lot better. That would be making huge waves. It would a be a really poor decision on Thibodeau's perspective and kind of make me second guess some of the things I think of him. Cause I, I have extreme and, and I will note, if those who spoke, Matt had a much longer opportunity to speak with him in kind of a one-on-one small group setting. Dude's an absolute rock star. I mean, there yes. were 20 to 30 media people there that were just there to see him. I was talking with four. So, so the way it was set up here, we'll go behind the scenes a little bit here. Um, the way it was set up is that Forsyth and Thibodeau shared a table at the back and they were not, they were not able to like answer questions simultaneously. So it was basically Thibodeau receiving questions. And I was talking to Alex and he said, it's, he said he thought that about two, you know about two dozen of the reporters who were just kind of lingering around asking questions to the group were there just to sp- speak with Thibodeau and people that he had known since he was in high school. And so it was about a 30-minute thing, and Forsyth got about four questions. And I, I say this to say just like Thibodeau's a rock star. There was no other player there who received even close to that sort of treatment from the media, and he absolutely nailed it. And to bring it back to my point a second ago I was going to make, it would be very discouraging if, if he or, or, or Forsyth made some sort of comment that suggested that they didn't believe in the quarterback situation or they didn't believe in Anthony Brown because that's just not that's just counterproductive to anything. Ultimately, if anyone's going to make that comment, it needs to be the head coach. You divide the locker room if you say something. Everybody seems to be behind Brown right now, and I think you're going to see that carry through the season. And if there is a change made at some point, then there's an opportunity maybe for, for some of the guys to talk about hey, you know, we loved Anthony, but we always kind of had seen Ty was really the more talented guy or whoever it is. And, and this has kind of been something we've been thinking might happen for a while. We loved Anthony. We supported him. But now our full support is with Ty or whoever it is. Right. Um, like, and this kind of goes with what we were expecting. Like, I think if Cristobal came out and even came out and said, like, Anthony Brown's not the starting quarterback. We don't know who the starting quarterback is. Like, that would be bigger. That would be probably a top five topic for the entire day that Oregon doesn't know who their starting quarterback is going into camp. Right. Like yeah. That's I, how, <laughs> that's how I've, I view how everything went in spring ball, everything we've heard from spring ball, everything we've heard in offseason workouts is that it's Anthony Brown. And basically it's going to have to fall apart and the wheels are going to have to come off really quickly for him not to be the guy going into, into week one against Fresno state. Yeah. We're at the same spot. I think we thought we would be when we last spoke with Mario in May, where it's just like Brown's going to be the one given the opportunity. And it's basically up to him and, and the three freshmen to maybe outplay him, but at least position themselves to, to be the guy. If things with Brown don't work out for, for whatever reason. And again, I think we're both pretty confident that he'll start the season. And I think he's going to have a, a very strong, strong season. Cristobal said as much, on Tuesday. Real quick, we're going to dot. There's so much to go over yeah. on yeah. media we're day. Gonna... We'll, 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 we'll bust out another show on Friday discussing more, but I want to discuss something else. Um, I'll open the floor to you. I feel like we need to discuss one more thing, Oregon centric. Um, and 
we could talk offensive line. We could talk um, crystal balls discussion about off season training. We could talk um, about the recruiting ramifications that he's kind of dropped that were really shocking to me. Um, we could talk about the running backs. Um, there's a ton of things on here that we could discuss. You dictate you. It's like a choose your own adventure podcast edition, Eric. Um, oh. Take us where we, where we want to go. This is the first time I've ever been a part of this. This is very exciting. Uh, <laughs> I love being in control of things. Um, a lot of people who know me know that's the case. Uh, I will say, let's talk about offensive line. Okay. Um, because I think there's a little bit of meat on this bone. That's really interesting. Um, uh, n- numerous things here, but first I asked Cristobal just like, there's a ton. And, and, and this is what makes the offensive line so interesting. We've talked about in the podcast. There's a lot of veterans back five starters plus Steven Jones. And then a bunch of guys who've been around for a minute. And then a lot of younger guys who are just either in their first or second year. And what does that look like? And Cristobal said, Alex Forsyth and the other veterans know that the younger players are going to factor into playing this year. They're that talented. They're that good. They're that physically ready. And the physically ready part was, I think, the thing that stood out most because Cristobal then ran through some information that I found to be pretty eye-opening with some of the younger players, and then specifically with a veteran of Jackson Powers Johnson. He says the guy's benching over 500 pounds, Um, which, by the way, Matt, that was extremely humbling to hear because I don't – it's not like I'm going to sit here and say I'm a workout fiend. Currently, I haven't been lifting weights probably in about a year or so since COVID. Um, But, like, even when I was lifting weights frequently, that's, like, twice as much as I could ever max bench. So, like, good job for a teenager to do that. That's ridiculous. Squatting well over 500 and power cleaning 330. That, to me, indicates this dude's a workout. Absolute, like, weight room lunatic. And he's out there throwing up crazy numbers. And I think I get really excited about not that someone's workout regiment or how much they lift totally um, is going to be representative of how they are as a football player. But to me, that shows someone's a work, their work ethic, because you're not a 19 year old kid with those sort of, you know, workout numbers being lazy and not putting in the work. And that to me is an indication. This guy is going to work really hard and gives me, I think a lot of optimism that down the line won't be in 2021 could be in 2022 or 23. He is going to be a starter and a very, very key player for Oregon's offensive line. So I, that stood out to me. And then the other one here, I think came by a little bit of surprise just because we haven't heard a ton about him, even though he was a pseudo starter last year. And that's Steven Jones. Yes. Um, a year ago, Matt and I were like, this is, I think, I think if you asked us preseason last year, like who's the top offensive lineman on the Steven roster? Jones. We'd say Stephen Jones. He's going to be like drafted really quick early in the next couple of years. And then he wasn't even a starter all season. You know, yeah. he played a lot as the sixth guy. It really sounds like Jones is positioning himself to be a starter at left or right tackle. This is what Christopher Boyce said. Stephen Jones has had an unbelievable summer. He's down to about 336 pounds right now, which, by the way, this guy's been 360, 370 most of his career. I think Penne is mad because Stephen ran faster than him on the GPS. So we had to send that to Penne. He knows somebody is finally faster than his big old butt. Um, <laughs> which, by the way, Cristobal is, is uh, you love the way he talks about Penne and some of the former guys, how the, just kind of the familiarity. The, the that, football that, jargon of Cristobal is like old school football guy, and it's straight up awesome. I love it. But hey, how about the fact that Jones, who's again for his career been a, kind of a really big guy, but always been athletic, but always just been a big guy, is now leaned out a lot and is moving at a faster rate, apparently than what Penny Sewell was working at. So okay, you said Penn, you said Stephen Jones is listed at what weight right now from via crystal ball? 336 is what he said. Okay. He showed up as a true freshman listed at 375 pounds. Yeah, I know. It's it's a lot of weight loss. What was he last year even on the roster? Like 350, I think, right? 340? Uh, let me look really quickly. You're asking me to go super fast. Well, come on, Matt. Step it up. Uh, he was 340. Okay. So the weight loss maybe isn't as quite as significant, but the fact that he's trimmed down, obviously that's good weight and is now moving faster. And that's like, that's the thing, Crystal Ball, not to cut you off. Crystal Ball oh, talked wait. about like weight training and we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about this later in the week. But one of the biggest things he talked about was across the board, a lot of guys have maybe the similar weight that they had the same year or last year. But he said they, they added great weight, meaning muscle, 
and they got rid of the bad weight, meaning fat. So guys might weigh the same, but their bodies are going to look totally different because they're going to be a lot more cut, a lot more lean. Uh, they're going to be, you know, they're just straight up stronger muscles. And you look at that and think that's kind of Steven Jones. Like I, I bet you he's only four pounds lighter than he was in 2020. But I bet you when we see him at packed at Oregon media day or the first day of practice, we're going to be blown away at just how different he looks. Can't wait. We should note Pac-12 media day. We now have some clarity on this is a week from, well, six days from when this recording is being had. So uh, next Tuesday, Matt, Myself, Jared, Mac, who is, by the way, first full day, was yesterday with the site. So he's going to be coming on full time. We will be at the event talking with Cristobal and a lot of the players, a lot more than what we spoke to at Pac-12 Media Day. So that's going to be another big event to help kick off um, fall camp and kind of get us more clarity on some of the things that we're talking about right now. And if you're curious, Cristobal mentioned how um, – Stephen Jones is faster than Penny Sewell in the GPS this offseason. Jones is six foot seven, 336 pounds. Okay. Penny Sewell, when they did that GPS testing ahead of the 2019 season, was six foot six, 325 pounds. Bigger guy. So Jones is a bigger, not only is Jones faster, but he's doing it while also being a bigger guy. Impressive. And again, speed and athleticism only get you so, more, so far, especially offensive line play. There's a lot of technique, fundamentals, a lot of stuff going on mentally that factors into it. But from an athletics, athleticism perspective, we've always known Jones is, is, a, is a top tier guy. I think hearing Cristobal so excited about the progress he's made should get you really encouraged again. And like we, we should have at some point here a longer offensive line talk because I am more confused now than I probably was before this about just like, how the heck is this all working out? Cause it seems like they have like 15 guys that are amazing. <laughs> yeah. It, it it's, it's going to be interesting to see things play out where like, I think one of the you know true freshmen or second year freshman guys, I, I think there's going to be a, a good chance that one of these guys starts a couple games. You know, I'm on record already saying Kingsley uh, Soamatia will be a starter for Oregon at, at one of the tackle spots, but I might change my perspective of he might not be a full-time starter. Like only because I think Stephen Jones, Malasala Mave, um, Alex Forsyth, um, George Moore, like those guys have gotten better, and what we've heard about the significance of the offseason training program that also might be a factor as well where these guys have, have been able to get better and and you understand that last year no excuses made they didn't have the strength program and that's going to make it tougher for a freshman to show up and steal a job but i still think i'm still on the uh i still am on the, the wagon that kingsley will be a guy that will start at least half the year for Oregon this year, but I'm with you. I'm starting to hear things, starting to talk to people that the offensive line is going to be a lot deeper. And, and that's kind of what Crystal ball said. Like they're going to play guys. They're, they're going to rotate because the the talents there. Yeah. I asked a quick follow-up question on the offensive line rotation because they played six last year. We mentioned that earlier with Jones and, and he was just sim simply said like, yeah, we're, we're going to play a ton of guys. There's, there's actually a, a story up on the site at DuckTurtra.com. In fact, I think almost everything we spoke about over the course of the last hour plus um, should have some source material for you to go look back at on DuckTurtra.com, um, as well as video of Mario Cristobal's entire press conference and, and some of the video of Kayvon Thibodeau and Alex Forsyth speaking with media. So there's a lot of coverage on the site to go back and, and again, cross-reference. If there's things that you heard us talk about that interest you and you want to know more, go check out DuckTurtra.com. And then again, there's half a dozen other items that we didn't get to on this podcast because right. i think i think at least i know i was i was a little optimistic i was probably a little bit uh too optimistic about how much we could fit into a show um because a lot of this stuff was was pretty big you just picture. don't want to gloss over stuff and maybe no. maybe we went too de in depth on a few things but no, i don't think so but there's just so much that we need to talk about we're going to do another one 
Um, we'll, we'll release it on Friday, a little bit more on Oregon football and, and also conference stuff um, that's going to play out. I mean, we haven't even, I mean, we're over an hour in now and David Shaw and Chip Kelly, both. Oh, and Jimmy Lake, uh, Jimmy Lake of Washington, David Shaw of Stanford really hammered home um, the impact that Oregon Chip Kelly years had on college football, which was kind of weird to hear. Like, like David Shaw is David Shaw is really tight with Chip Kelly. So that makes sense. But like a rival of Oregon, two rivals of Oregon, you know, really giving praise to them about how they changed college football is, was kind of interesting. We'll we'll dive into more of that. We'll dive into more about what we learned with Oregon football. We'll dive into more of what we learned with Mario Cristobal, Kwan Thibodeau, Alex Forsyth, and more uh, on the Austin Audible's podcast uh, on Friday. And until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.